Hi, I'm George Tekmachov. This is Easton Podcast number 143. And along with me is Steve the Cat Anderson and our special guest for this podcast, world champion Braden Galantine. Hey, Braden, thanks for joining us. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited for the Olympics. This has been incredible. Yeah, Braden, you, you've been watching every match. You and I have been texting, uh, you know, back and forth about the what's what. And then I have other friends who I'm like, hey, you guys see that? And they're like, see what? Or they, they text me and they're like, what's happening in the Olympics? I'm like, you haven't paid attention at all? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it happens once every four years, five years this year. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It, a lot of people may not, you know, enjoy watching Recurve Archer or who knows why, but uh, all of our funding for USA Archer or the majority of it hinges on the results. So I feel like being interested as a professional archer is, you know, it's important. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you nailed it right there because it is in the best interest of each archer, whether they're compound or recurve, to A, have, quite frankly, NBC be really happy with what they're seeing mm-hmm. because more hours of archery on TV means basically more money for the sport. And B, to simply look at this from the standpoint of, you know, um, a little bit of solidarity within our sport. You know, I'm, I'm a recurve guy and you guys are compound guys but we can all come together and wish our team the very best because we know that in the long run, uh, we're all going to be better for it. And, uh, and it's pretty, that's a cool aspect of this, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun for us to get there and watch it. And yeah, I just, you know, I was like, Hey, well, let's have Braden on. He's been watching every match. He's probably seen as many or more matches than, than you and I, George. So. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, We've all had to flip our schedules upside down a little bit to catch this stuff live, but it's been well worth it. Yeah. And we've certainly seen some pretty uh, remarkable stuff. I would say, guys, the, the key word for this particular Olympic Games is upsets, upsets, upsets. Lots of them. Now, some <laughs> of those are based on ranking rounds conducted on a field that was, quite frankly, pretty tricky. You look at the wind yeah. conditions on that field and you consider where the archers were had a correlation to how they did in a general sense that goes beyond their individual abilities. The USA men's team was in the middle of this field. Women's team was on the far right. And Mac herself, Mackenzie Brown, told me that that was absolutely an advantage because they had a big windsock right there in front of them so they could see what was happening. Because the way the field is structured, nobody could really feel what was happening at the line, particularly in those conditions where there was a tailwind blocked by that building and then that tailwind came slamming down over the top of that building pretty much hitting the arrows 30 40 meters downrange. it made it for a very tricky day during qualification during ranking right so like you said the conditions of the ranking round are going to shuffle the bracket in ways that the archers weren't expecting and as viewers we would never expect to see and then when you double that down and put them into the matches where you're 20 seconds to shoot and you could be hitting, being hit by a 15 to 20 mile an hour gust during that time, you can get some really crazy results. There's another factor as well. And that is one unique to the Olympic games. One that world archery solved a long time ago in world cup competition. Both of you guys have been exposed to this directly. You know what happens. You you find yourself in the top eight. It's a double-edged sword because you've got to buy and you're coming up against opponents that have at least had the opportunity to win a match, feel out the conditions on the field, and 
come into the match that they've got to shoot against you with some confidence. Now that's ameliorated a little bit in world archery competition because they put it on a separate day, but at the Olympic games, there were teams coming in for both mixed team and for team round cold with only 30 minutes of familiarization on the actual field of play, which is a separate facility up against teams that have already won a match. And that's an undeniable advantage. It is. I'd love to agree with you completely, but for some reason this year, world archery has regressed back to the same as the Olympics where we've been going into matches against warmed up athletes on the same day within you know, the same exact things have been going on in world archery. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, I haven't got, yeah, I haven't gotten to uh, any of the World Cups this year, but I'll take your word for it since you have, and yeah, done it's, quite it's, well by the way. Congratulations on your run this year, Braden. Um, oh, thanks. Making it to the World Cup final—that's huge, and uh, you know you did it outright. I think uh, second event, something like that. Yeah, right at the first event of the year, um, I won against uh, Mike Schlosser, and it was the conditions were were tricky. It was it was a, a strange wind. Um, it was very similar to the Olympics where we had a mostly tailwind with a high canopy behind us. So the, the aero flight was unpredictable. Yeah. But, um, Cause you yeah, know, a tailwind, a tailwind is the worst, right? I mean, that's, that's equivalent to knocking 20 feet per second off your, off your bow speed. And it can really have a, a big impact on how the arrow stabilizes as it's headed down range. It can really do some interesting things. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's no question that, uh, in the conditions that you shot in, uh, there's certainly an analog. Uh, Absolutely. So. You know, so, but not to, uh, not to, not to uh, serve up any short shrift there. I think it's important that people understand, uh, you know, what kind of season you've had. And, and uh, you also did well at some of the other events as well, didn't you? Yes. We just got back from the Yankton roundup, which is uh, field nationals, uh, the NFA target nationals and uh, the Dakota classic with uh, all of our schedules being a little strange because of COVID, they decided to host three events over five days and the mega week. The, yes. The mega week of archery. It's, it's exhausting. I'm sure Steve could tell you that by the end of it, you're just, you don't know which ends up, but um, I ended up taking down the field nationals and then the national target as well, um, which I felt like, I felt like I had a bit of an advantage over a lot of the other shooters because it's, while it's not directly a feed around, we are shooting outside in the elements you know, several arrows, um, and it just, it kind of fit into my forte a little bit. Absolutely. So some fantastic shooting for you this season. And, uh, let me ask you this as well. Uh, what was it like to get back on the field of play after such a long time, um, away and living in a part of the country where I think lockdowns were a little more active than even out here in the West. Uh, what right. was that like so for you? Training was difficult here. A lot of our ranges were shut down and then the ones that weren't, the mask mandates during practice were crazy. I had to make special improvisations to my specific lane at our range so that I didn't have to wear a mask while shooting. So <laughs> I'm not joking. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, believe it. And really? then getting back so to the competition line, it, it was strange. I, I felt nerves like I haven't felt in a long time. Like when, when you're competing 20 weeks a year, you tend to fall into a rhythm where you're able to overcome the nerves or at least handle them, deal with them in a certain way. Sure. And after a year and a half of not really having that experience or, or that, you know, remembrance of how to do it, I, I remember the first 
end for score in Yankton for the uh, Rushmore Rumble, I, I felt like a complete rookie. Just getting through that end was a major accomplishment. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's something that people who've taken a long time away from the sport and come back also experience, no matter how experienced you are as a competitor. If you've taken time away from the sport, um, like I have, and then you come back, you, you get a little extra heart rate thing that you wouldn't have anticipated. Uh, partly because, you know, maybe you're expecting yourself to be the way you were back when you were competitive and whatever. But also, I think just the the difference in environment, um, and and you know, it's it, it's not going to be overwhelming for somebody with your level of experience, but it's certainly going to add a little extra spice to the deal. That's absolutely it. It, it. Once once I got a taste of it, it was like, oh yeah, I remember how to do this. But just getting getting to that point where you're able to have some level of success again, it it takes a bit. Absolutely. And I think- I think we saw a lot of that in the Olympics as well, where people had, you know, people who have shot previous Olympics may have been on the same playing fields for the most part as, as rookies because of that time away. And another factor that maybe nobody really called accurately, including myself, I figured that most people would probably be okay with the lack of spectators. But, you know, last night we did a uh, quick podcast with Tom Dillon, quick update from the live field. And it turns out a lot of shooters are getting a little freaked out by the silence and by being the center of attention in those conditions. It is absolutely having an impact. Now, you dealt with something like that in places like Lausanne, where you had the full-up venue, but you didn't have any spectators. Right. It's, it, it feels more like a qualification even during the matches. And we've seen it across sports, uh, like with the PGA specifically, a lot of the higher-tier players – we're, we're having a, you know, a, an absence of results and we're attributing it to the lack of crowd involvement because you know, when, you're hit, when you hit a shot or shoot an arrow, you're used to hearing immediate feedback from the crowd on where it lands. And to not have that is definitely eerie. You know, in Japan, they've got uh, two women and Takahara Furukawa uh, representing. I, I can only imagine that if they'd had the real honest-to-goodness home field advantage of having a crowd behind them, um, again, you never know how an individual is going to deal with, with a crowd shouting, but, uh, I, I think it would be an advantage. I really, I, I think coming away from it, I, I think it absolutely would be an advantage. Oh, for sure. Like we've been in, Steve and I've been shooting, uh, in different countries across the world with world cups. And whenever there's that home field advantage, it, it can be downright hostile out there. France specifically, like in Nîmes, when you're shooting against a French archer, whew, it's, it's something else. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you're looking at this from the perspective of, um, you know, everybody uh, going into this thing, as you pointed out, you know, five years since the last Olympic Games, uh, the pressure, the expectation, it's going to affect everybody differently. But of all the teams to have prepared really well for this, I, I think you've got to say Korea really, you know, building that that replica stadium. Um, they, they absolutely set themselves up for success coming into this thing. Absolutely. They seemed vicious when they came out of the gate, they were, they were swinging, you know, heavy hands and, and ready to go. The dominance they had in the team round was, I don't want to say it was the first of its kind, but as far as I can remember, I haven't seen teams just come out and shoot that well and work together that well in 
Well, guys, one reason we've got such an expert panel here is so that we can prognosticate a little bit. Let's talk about the uh, women's brackets because that's the most immediate thing on the calendar with women shooting about nine hours from when we're speaking right now. And uh, some of these matches uh, promise to be very interesting. Earlier, uh, Kang Che Young, Kang the Destroyer, had um, you know taken out an archer from Ecuador and then uh, took out Veronica Marchenko of Ukraine, 7-1. She's going to be up against Yasemin Anagots, who'd beaten Stephanie Barrett of Canada and also beaten Miss Yang of China. So it's going to be Kang versus Anagots. Predictions? I see Kang winning this match 80% of the time. Uh, she's she's rocking an average of a 28.14 throughout her matches so far. Her low her low end has been a 27. And overall, she's got an 85% win rate in her entire career. So with with her current form, her track record, and her you know Olympic and World Cup pedigree, I, I see Kang going forward. Steve? Braden bringing the saber metrics. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna not have the inside analysis on you know arrow averages and whatnot but I, yeah i think kang wins this one whether it's uh whether it's closer she dominates i think she pulls the win either way michelle kropin took out lydia sitchenikova of ukraine six nil and then came up against elena osipova of the uh i keep wanting to say russia i guess we can't call them russia it's russian olympic committee Sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. And <laughs> Michelle um, went out to Miss Osipova. So Miss Osipova advanced. And we've got uh, Tanya Ting, who I expected to do pretty well against Brioni Pittman in a match that, uh, you know, quite frankly, looked a little rough. But Brioni came out on top, maybe unexpectedly, 4-6. You know, Brioni ranked 38th and Tan ranked 27th. Um, the other half of that bracket, by the way, was Ida Rahman versus Rehab El-Walid of Tunisia. And Ida uh, shot, geez, I mean, a scattergun kind of thing. It, it was something I'd never seen from her before. She won 6-2 in that first pass. Then Brioni took her out 6-2. So it's Brioni Pittman versus Elena Osipova of Russia. Uh, any predictions on that one? I'm, I'm thinking the Russian shooter. Right. So I think that this may have been a case of, of positioning on the field during qualification. Elena is the world's ranked number four archer. So for her to get a 22 seed in qualification was probably a little out of the ordinary from, from her performances or what she was expecting. When you break down the arrow averages, Elena was a 26.4 through her matches while Bryony is a 26.33. So they're fairly, fairly evenly matched as far as their match performances have been. But I'm going to give the nod to Elena here with, in, in that match. I, I believe she'll take it down. Agreed. Steve, what do you think? I'm going to go with Asapova as well, just because I think uh, the Russian team, and I'm going to call them the Russian team, I, I am not working for NBC this week. So Fair enough. I'm going to go with the Russian team just being mentally tougher. And I think when you get down to this stage, that's, that's a big part of the battle. Azusa Yamauchi of Japan, student of... Uh... Takahara Furukawa, by the way, beat Urantungalag Binchindi of Mongolia 6-2 and then found herself in a match with Hannah Maruseva, who had taken out Lisa Unruh 6-4. Uh, 
Lisa with a real rough start in that uh, in that match. Uh, 18 points on the board to Hannah's 26. Then they tied it up with a 24. And Lisa with a 20 to a 25. Uh, then she took the next pass, 25-24. Finally, a tie uh, for the last arrow, uh, the last set. And uh, Maraseva, ranked 39th, took out number 26 and reigning Olympic silver medalist Lisa Unruh. So that's another one of those upsets. So Maraseva is in the bracket after taking out Azusa Yamauchi 6-0. Um, the second half of that bracket, Lucilla Boari of Italy took out Svilia Zizanska of Poland 6-0. She found herself up against her own teammate who had taken out Christine Berendahl of the legendary Berendahl family of Sweden. Uh, that was a 6-2 win over Christine. Uh, Chiara Ribagliati of Italy then found herself up against her teammate, Lucilla Borari. And Miss Boari is going to be up against Miss Maraseva. Uh, looking at that situation, looking at how those shooters shot, I am expecting that we will see 39th ranked Miss Maraseva beating 23rd ranked Miss Boari. And I haven't had to do gymnastics like that verbally in a while. Go ahead, Braden. Right. So, George, um, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I, I've, I've been crunching the numbers and through the matches, Boari's posted a 26.25 arrow average where Marisara has posted a 25. So when I'm when I'm actually looking at the individual ends, it seems like um, the Belarusian, uh, Belarusian archer, uh, she she's got some high ends, but she's also dropping some 23s and 24s in there. Whereas Boari's been more consistent across the board with 25s and 26s as her low end. So I, I say, you know, obviously there's a reason we shoot these matches and it's not done on paper, but seven out of 10 times, I think Boari's going get to the, get the win. Steve? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I'm with Braden on, on that in that I do think the consistent archer typically will win, especially this late in the stage, because I think it's hard for some of those archers to find that magic 28, 29 end, and then back it up with a 23, 24, and then come back and need another 28, 29. So while I don't know if she's going to be able to do that, I do think Belarus has had quite a run. A lot of their archers have shot pretty darn good. They got to, a chance to shoot in that bronze medal team match. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go with her. I'm going to pick uh, the 39 rank Marisaba and see what happens. Meanwhile, while I've had time to digest what Braden had to say, I've reversed my point of view and I agree with him. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. See, Braden's bringing that high level analyst stuff today. Yeah. This yeah, is I'm stuff we're not used to. Braden, we're just not used to this. We level don't do homework that. for these, Braden. You're making no, us I'm look sorry. bad. Be prepared. <laughs> no, no. This is, this is a good excuse to try to get you on more podcasts, actually. All right. All right. Sarah, Sarah Bettles of GBR versus Valentina Acosta Girardo of Colombia. 6-4 um, win for Sarah Bettles. And Sarah was pretty strong swinging out of the gate with a 30. Um, Valentina never broke 28. She had a 23, a 28, a 22, a 27, and a 25. And while Sarah didn't uh, rise to the level that she started with, she was pretty consistent. She then found herself up against the winner of the match between Wu Shashin of China and veteran Naomi Folkard, Miss Wu, beating Naomi Folkard 6-2. Uh, Sarah Bettles then found herself up against uh, 
uh, Miss Wu of China, who was pretty strong, pretty consistent, uh, pulled out a point or two more in all of the uh, sets and beat Sarah Bettles 6-2. Um, so she finds herself into the bracket. Now, the next half of that bracket is Miki Nakamura of Japan, who has been unexpectedly, in my mind, strong uh, after ranking 31st. First, she beat Marie Horachkova of Czech Republic 6-2. Uh, then she found herself, and here is the surprise of the day, um, the other half of the bracket was Zhang Minhe of Korea, the number two ranked shooter. Uh, no surprise when she took out uh, Amal Adam of Egypt, 6-0. But now she finds herself up against a wall made of Japan. Uh, Miki Nakamura brings it to Zhang Minhe. First set, 28 to 26. Second set, 26 to 25. Miss Jang comes back in the third set, 27-26, but set number four was the decider, and Miki Nakamura of Japan, ranked 31, takes out number two, the Korean archer Min-hee, Jang Min-hee, 27-26. She's going to be up against Miss Wu of China. She's on a roll. She's going to win it. She's Great. definitely got the momentum going into the match. Uh, Mickey, Mickey has been probably arguably the most consistent archer on the field. Every end she shot has been between 26 or 28 throughout both matches so far. Miss Wu, on the other hand, she, she came out and, and she was probably unfamiliar with the, with the finals venue, a little bit of Olympic nerve shot a 22 on her first end of, of competition. After that, her low has been 27. So she's been really hot shooting through it. I think it's going to be a close match, but just looking at the spreads, I would say Wu wins 60% of the time. Steve? This is why we let Braden set the odds when we are not gambling at World Archery events watching the finals. Um, I looked at the same thing, and I thought, okay, Braden's got – he's up to snuff on what these people have done thus far. So I went and looked, and I saw that same thing. She opened with a 22, Miss Wu. Uh, against Naomi Folkard, and then she's just been crushing souls since then. And uh, you mentioned the, a, a wall in uh, Japan, but we all know the Great Wall is in China, and I'm picking Wu Xiaxin to win. All right. I'm going with uh, – I'm sticking with my pick because uh, I think, again, home field advantage and all that. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, other half of the field now. We've got some uh, – Quality shooters here. Uh, obviously, An San of Korea, the number one ranked shooter, the new Olympic record holder with a 680. Uh, she took on a shooter um, who was ranked 64th, and that shooter got two points off her. Marlise Hortu took two points off An San. So props to her. Uh, An San had a 27, 27, 28, 28. Her opponent, that's where she got some of the points uh, opened with a 28 to that 27. And then later, uh, you know, wasn't able to, wasn't able to maintain it. But uh, Ansan is then up against the winner of the match between Ana Dos Santos of Brazil and Ana Vasquez of Mexico. Miss Dos Santos wins six, four. That puts her in the bracket with Ansan in the one sixteenth, and San rolls her over seven to one. So 
And San now has pretty much found her stride. She's got a 27, 28, 30, and a 28. There was one uh, draw in there on the very first set from Ms. Del Santos. After that, Ansan ran away with it, and uh, that put her in the one-eighth elimination round. The second half of that bracket is Casey Coffold was up against Ines Del Velasco. Casey ranked 17th. I would argue lower than might have been expected, but for a first Olympic Games, not bad. Casey won that match against the Spanish Archer 7-3. to three. It was looking reasonably good with a couple of bobbles in between. 27-20, uh, 24-24, 23-24, to 25-24, and then 27-25. to 25. So Casey got plenty of experience when she went into her next pass with the winner of this ranking pair. Uh, first, we had Guet Do Ti An of Vietnam up against Ren Haikawa of Japan. Ren, uh, who is the bronze medal holder from the London 2012 Games from the team round, beat the archer from Vietnam 6-5. Ren then went on to beat Casey 6-2, with Ren opening with a 29 to Casey's 26, a 28 to Casey's 25, Casey came back with a 29 to Ren's 28, but then Ren closed the deal with a 27 to Casey's 25. It's going to be An San versus Ren Hayakawa. Uh, Braden, what does it look like to you? So my, I'm just going to start off. My pick is An San in the match, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than anyone would imagine. Ren came out on fire that second match, like you mentioned, and... I think the first match, the only reason she had to help a couple of hiccups where it's the first match of the Olympics, nobody wants to lose. And, and she probably shot a little bit more reserved than, than she normally does. And we saw more of her true self in that second match. That said, I, I really think Ansan's going to make it through and, and probably make it down to the semifinals. So Ansan's my pick. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, you know, my, my uh, look, the Hayakawa sisters have been a huge influence in Japanese archery. Ren's sister, Nami, won the World Indoor Championship, and I'm pretty sure you were there too, Braden, uh, back yeah, in Turkey, yeah. in, in Izmir. Um, you know, I mean, you've got some experience standing on top of that same podium. Right. Uh, Their family Ren, has a mainstay in, in archery as long as I have had a career. So it, it's hard to go. It's hard to pick against the family, but it just, and San is, she's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she really is. Um, and Ren's been dealing with a shoulder injury for the last few years. She actually has made a comeback after, after a pretty bad shoulder injury. So uh, we'll see. You know, Ren's got heart and she's got personality. But yeah, Ann San's a monster, absolutely. And, and it's her first Olympics. Uh, working against her is the fact that it's rare for the number one seed to go on to the gold medal final or, or to win. But uh, this could prove the exception here. Steve, what do you think? I think the top half of this bracket is by far the strongest bracket, right? Just looking at the matchups, I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to have to come out of the top half to get to the gold medal match. But um, in this match, I'm picking Ansan. I think she's, you know, I think she'll give up a maybe a set, but I think she'll probably walk away with this one comfortably. The other side of this quarterfinal bracket is starting out with Deepika Kumari, having taken on Miss Karma of Bhutan, Miss Karma having made history by winning Bhutan's first Olympic slot outright, as opposed to getting granted one by the Tripartite Commission. 
but uh, you know, ranked 56 with a 616, which is not a whole lot above the minimum qualifying score for the Olympic Games. Uh, Deepika Kumari with a 663 in the ranking round, putting her ninth. A lot of a lot of pressure on Deepika Kumari. Uh, there were a lot of expectations put on her. You know, you're looking at a situation here where Deepika won against Miss Karma just outright 6-0. Uh, the other half of that bracket was Anastasia Pavlova of Ukraine, very experienced shooter, ranked 41st, uh, maybe a little bit uncharacteristically, finds herself up against first-time Olympian and just about first time at an international tournament from the United States of America, Jennifer Musino fernandez Jennifer pulls out a victory. Uh, she started out stronger than her opponent, 27 to 26, then 26 to 25. Anastasia finds some fire, dropping a 29 on Jennifer's 23. And then Jennifer falters a bit, 26, 21 in favor of Anastasia. But then Jennifer comes back at the last set and wins it 6-4, which shows a lot of heart. Then she found herself up against Deepika Kumari. And Deepika uh, was in trouble from the first set. Uh, Jennifer starts out with a 26 to Deepika's 25. But then after that, it was um, pretty much the, the pendulum swung to Deepika, 28, 25, 27, 25. Uh, Jennifer fought back with a 25 to 24, but then Deepika finished her off with a 26, 25, putting her into the semifinal, or excuse me, into the uh, one eighth elimination round. The next half of that came from Maya Yeager of Denmark, who beat Diananda Choi Arunisa of Indonesia, 6-2. Now, Maya had 23, 24, 26, 26, nothing spectacular. Uh, but then at that time, most shooters weren't shooting much higher than that. Uh, Diananda had a 22, 26, 22, 25. So 6-2 win puts Maya Yeager into the uh, next pass, and she finds herself up against the highly experienced Senya Perova of Russia, who's up against Alice Ingley of Australia. Senya pretty much wiped out Alice 7-1, 30 to 23, 27 to 22, uh, one draw on one set, and then 26-23. Ksenia then ran over Maya Yeager 7-3, uh, pretty much dominant through most of the match, but Maya did come back with a pretty strong 30 in the third set. Uh, after that, though, it, the pendulum just swung back to, to Miss Parava. She finds herself up against Deepika Kumari, uh, so number eight, Deepika, excuse me, number eight, Ksenia Parava finds herself up against number nine, Deepika Kumari. I call this one too close to call. I completely agree with you. You know, they were the ninth and eighth ranked archers during qualification. Deepika through her matches has dropped a 26.12 average, whereas uh, Ms. Parova has a 26.11. So it's virtually decimal points separating them. I, I would give the edge to Deepika just based on this year's performances. She seemed to be, you know, at the top of her game. She's boasting a slightly better win rate overall in her career. And I just, man, it's hard to, hard to bet against her. Next one was an interesting one. We had number five ranked Mackenzie Brown of the United States of America the highest-ranked American woman at Olympic Games since the 1992 Games and Denise Parker's fifth-place qualification round score at the Barcelona Games, because back then it was a qualifier, not a ranking round. Uh, Mac brought it to Charlene Schwartz of Germany, who was ranked 60th. 
Uh, Charlene hung in there. It was a 6-2 win for Mac. Then Mac finds herself up against the outcome of the next pass, which was Long Shaoxing of China versus Madalina Amastroy of Romania. Uh, Miss Long beat her opponent from Romania 6-2. Mackenzie Brown up against Long Shaoxing of China. Mac crushed her in three sets, 6-0, to get herself where she is. And she had a big grin on her face the whole time, Braden. That, that absolutely would have given her some advantage. Now, the other half of that bracket, Lin Chia-en of Chinese Taipei, 21st, takes out Evangelia Psara of Greece uh, in a well-fought match, to be honest with you. It came down to the last arrow and a 6-4 win for Lin Chia-en over six-time Olympian now, Evangelia Psara of Greece. So Miss Lin then finds herself up against the winner of the match between Rina Parnat of Estonia and Denisa Barankova of Slovakia. That went Rina's way 6-4. And then Miss Lin of Chinese Taipei beats Miss Parnat of Estonia 7-3, putting Lin Chia-en, 21st ranked of Chinese Taipei, up against Mackenzie Brown. Mackenzie's going to stomp the floor. Yeah, um, at the risk of sounding like a homer, I, I completely agree with you on that. Mackenzie's been on fire. She's won the last six sets. She opened with a 24. I obviously, I just, I think she was out there a little bit of tournament nerve, a little bit of first match nerves, a little bit of understanding the conditions. And since then her low end has been a 27. Um, Miss Lynn is the only upset to make it into the one sixteenth or the one eighth at this point. So in this entire half of the bracket, I just, I say, I think Mackenzie's the higher class archer here. And, and in my notes, I have her winning 80% of the time. Like it's going to be a stomp. Steve McKenzie had the bearing of a champion throughout that pass. What do you think? I would pick McKenzie, even if I didn't think she was going to win. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> saying that, I think she is going to win. So, you know, sometimes you, you've got someone you just you want them to win and you'll, you might make a foolish bet on them. Um, but I, not in this scenario. Truthfully, Chinese Taipei, I think, has been the women's team has been the most underperforming team. You know, they, they should have qualified a lot higher than they did as a team. Uh, they got bounced pretty early as a team. I expected them to contend for a team medal. Um, they're just not there. And, you know, Lynn is, is obviously, I think, their only remaining archer and, and shooting the best. Yes, yeah, the only remaining archer uh, shooting the best out of of the bunch but Mackenzie's shooting the best out of a lot of people right now absolutely and and has been throughout this thing so yeah um regardless of patriotic feelings or personal feelings for somebody that we all like a great deal I I think Max just going to stop we'll see what happens I totally agree Mackenzie's going to take the the match down I I really think she's got a legitimate shot at bronze um with the way she's been shooting her demeanor has been great her her attitude her her shot Everything's been awesome. I, I'm a big fan of Mackenzie this week. Yeah, I look at Mackenzie. She's shooting really well. Um, you know, going up against Lin Chia and right now, Taipei has been probably the most underperforming team on the win, the women's side. I expect a lot more of them out of the, the team round, out of qualification. And then individually, most of them just haven't, haven't been that impressive. She obviously has gotten through, but I think uh, I think the buck stops with McKenzie. Like Braden said, I think McKenzie's got a great shot at bronze. 
for me, it's going to be her or Alejandra picking up the bronze medal. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I pull for Deepika just because of everything she's had to deal with. But I think Ansan is going to be tough to beat on the top side. So I think it's going to come down to uh, her and Kang Che Young. And I think Kang takes that win. So I'm going to go Kang Gold and Silver. And then uh, we'll go we'll go Mackenzie or Alejandra with, with the bronze. Yeah, I, I think Mackenzie definitely has a shot at bronze. Um, of course, there could be some factors we haven't considered. I'm calling out Miki Nakamura as being one of those potential factors. We could be seeing some great stuff from her if she yeah. can survive the next pass. So you were we'll the only one who picked her. So, well, we'll see. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's why we play the game. So guys, one of the things that's gotten a lot of attention at these Olympic games is the remote sensing of heart rates and the juxtaposition of being able to see the heart rate climb as the pressure increases. That's been a terrific thing for storytelling. Uh, but here I am talking to two world champions. Both of you have had uh, a lot of experience and, you know, I've, I've shot a few arrows myself. I will say that perhaps the heart rate stuff might be a little overrated because just about everybody uh, has an elevated heart rate when the pressure's on. The question is who can shoot through it? What do you guys think? Right. So I read an article this morning on it and the way they're doing it is they've got a bunch of cameras set up on the field and they're monitoring the athletes faces and the camera is picking up subtle changes in the hues and coloration and pigmentation of the face. And from that, they're able to extrapolate the athlete's heart rate. So it's a lot less obtrusive on the athlete. Um, I know in past, like uh, the World Cup final in Tokyo, they had a leg monitor that measured heart rate. And that was the first time that they were adding that to the, um, the spectator experience. So I think it's really cool that we get to see a little bit more of what the athlete's going through under pressure, whether they're calm like they would be during qualification or in practice, or if they're actually physically stressed in the match. And I think that that's going to give us a little bit more insight into how they're dealing with it and a prediction of where the arrow may go based on that pressure. Steve, when you and I were looking at the match with Ojin Hyuk, uh, I think our observation, generally speaking, was along the lines of he's pretty relaxed. You know, he had something just above a normal walking heart rate, something 80, 90, something like that. And then when he got in trouble, his heart rate really spiked a bit. And I, I can't help but feel like that was an indicator, in spite of the fact that we've seen people shoot right through that stuff. And he took it right to the wire. Um, you had a tendency not to put so much weight on that, from what I gather. Yeah, because, you know, everyone's, everyone's heart rate is typically elevated. Um, Braden mentioned something about people, they, they make a, an effort to practice with an elevated heart rate. So I would assume that the Koreans have done that, you know, it's not a, all of a sudden a new thing for him. And always been in situations that surely he's had the exact same feeling. So, um, you know, so many people think that some of these archers are just stone cold all the time. And that's why they're so good, but they're so good because they really are good at shooting a bow. And then they figure out, they learn how to shoot it well under pressure, or they just get comfortable shooting, or they learn to enjoy the pressure. Once you get to that situation where you enjoy shooting in that kind of moment, because it's a whole lot more fun than practice, that's when you can really become dangerous. So, um, you know, ultimately, in a one-arrow shoot-off, O shot a, a mid-nine, you know, and a, a Tanu Das shot a, 
a 10 and that was that. But yeah, I don't want people watching to be like, oh, is it, you know, watching strictly the heart rate. There's so much more going on. You can watch the timing of the shooter, see what kind of bow arm shake they have going uh, and just see how they're dealing with any wind or or any of that that factors in. So there's a lot more to it than than heart rate. And a lot of great shooters shoot through elevated heart rate all the time. You know, um, for me, this story of the week is probably going to be that of, uh, of Little Kim, the 17-year-old Korean archer who came in charging into the new Olympic record, uh, shot the highest score on the ranking field, and immediately got the attention of the media around the world for his habit of yelling, uh, you know, pretty much <laughs> during team rounds. Before that, Brady and the Roar, but before that, there was Braden Galantine. Braden Galantine, you are the first major archer to make a mark in our sport by turning it into something visually and audibly exciting through your reactions uh, going back, what, 15 years now. And, and now you're seeing it become mainstream and recurve. Uh, you've got to get a little satisfaction out of the fact that you broke that ground. Right. I definitely see a lot of uh, younger me in, in the, um, in the actions and, and the emotion showed by little Kim. <laughs> um, he's, he's exciting to watch. He brings a little bit of flair, a little bit of the dramatic to the sport. And I think that's really cool as a spectator because you get to see the athlete and you get to relate to them a little bit more than just seeing them and think that they look like a cool person. You get to see a little bit of their personality. You get to see what makes them tick. And, and to me, that's a lot more exciting and intriguing. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think we'd be remiss in not pointing out that, you know, you, you took a little bit of flack back in the day when you when you broke that ground, but it has turned into one of the most valuable things for our sport from the standpoint of uh, non-endemic media attention, uh, keeping entertainers, uh, keeping spectators entertained. Are you not entertained is a question that I've never had to ask the spectators when Braden Galantine's on that field. So pretty cool stuff guys um we are going to wrap now but the plan is we'll be back with the debrief of just you know how close were we on some of these guesses what really happened starting in about eight hours and we'll be back tomorrow for the preview of the men so i want to thank both of you world champions for taking the time to join us on the podcast today this has been a, a real treat to have and Braden. To have somebody actually prepared and knowing what they're talking about on the podcast, that is just such a rare and enjoyable thing to have. I'm thinking maybe Steve and I have to have a serious conversation when we're done here. It was impressive. Uh, I mean, having having the saber metrics and everything else you brought, it was nice to it was nice to have that. And it like your pick of uh, Valencia, if it's not windy, you went and looked at the weather forecast, and it reinforced my my pick of valencia so that was pretty cool. yeah yeah you turned around you turned around some of our uh you know some of our prognostications man because you had a you had the facts in your favor we're just winging it but you had the facts That's i grew up in boston in, in the period of Moneyball with with uh, the boston red sox so like I, this is second nature to me to look at all of the different angles and uh yeah i'm glad i was able to bring something a little bit different to the table so we got just boston think. to thank Oh, yes. Go ahead. Yep. I was just going to say we got Boston to thank for two things. We got Boston to thank for Braden Galantine and his 
head for stats and for the MIT developed remote heart sensor that's being used on the field right now. That's why they call Boston the hub of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it referred to that way before and I grew up not too far from there, so I get it. All right. <sighs> well, fellas, thank you very much. Some, I think you've got some editing to do, George. Uh, yeah, there's a mea culpa here. Yeah. This uh, entire second half of the show, completely my fault. Uh, let's just say that uh, there's some deja vu involved here and call it that, huh? Well, I'm kind of upset because my great explanation of Lil Kim being fat, PH fat, from the movie Meet the Parents is going to be lost forever in the podcast verse. But uh, that's okay. I just, I don't envy you for having to put this together and have it try to make sense. Well, and, you know, we also lost my, my story for Ted Palamaki about how it's actually the Telosian heart monitor. Yeah, we're robbing yeah. the people of, on this one. We are robbing well, the people. I'll tell you what, we'll try to do better on the next one just about 24 hours from now. And Steve, we, will, we won't charge them any more than we are currently charging them. Yeah, or we'll send them to the Garden of Refunds. You know the one. Yes. Hey, Braden, all jokes aside, thank you again for joining us, man. It's been awesome having you on today. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun and can't wait to do the same thing tomorrow. Braden gets the last word. <laughs>